once again tonight. We thank you, God, for your amazing grace. And Lord, as we come, we, we don't just want to, we don't just come and go through a service and kind of do our obligation or, or whatever. Lord, I pray that tonight we would meet you here in a real way, in a specific way. Lord, some of us need, some of us need answers tonight, and I pray you'd give us those answers. Some of us need encouragement, and I pray that that would happen as we're in your word. Some of, some of us need, Lord, we just need kind of a, an arm put around us. I pray that would happen. Lord, I know that you're faithful. I know that going through a passage of scripture, that you will speak to each one of us exactly what we need to hear. So God, we do give you this time. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, and uh, here to me in the middle of chapter 26, we kind of change directions pretty radically. From the beginning of 24 till the middle of 26, we were dealing with that whole question of, of uh, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And now he's addressed that. Then last week we saw in the beginning of this chapter, he kind of shifted from, hey, the second coming of Christ to the first coming of Christ and the whole idea of the cross. Now tonight we shift into where he's going to spend the last few hours with his disciples. And that's going to take a little bit of time. We're not going to just blow through that. But, but listen carefully. Jesus is coming to them on the Passover. We've already discussed what the Passover was last week, and now he's getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And something I wanna, I wanna emphasize, because I think it's important. Sometimes as believers, as Christians, we get kind of caught up with the whole Passover, Seder supper thing, etc. We wanna know what each element stood for, what was going on, what it represented. I want us to kind of take note of something. Jesus had the opportunity to point all that stuff out to his disciples, and he didn't. Jesus pointed out two things, the bread and the cup, and that's it. In many ways, listen, in many ways, what we're looking at tonight is supposed to be the very last celebration of what was the Passover in the Old Testament so you would shift from that to what we call communion in the New Testament. Leave the old behind and go with the new. Now, now listen, I'm not, I'm not anti-Seder supper, but I think sometimes as believers we get caught up with that stuff and we get so focused on that stuff that we lose sight of what God was really intending and showing. And by the way, most of the Seder suppers today are built on tradition after the time of Christ, not, not during the first century, because what, what, what's one thing they say? Well, they set an extra chair up for Elijah or the Messiah. Dudes, they didn't sit in chairs in the first century. So there was no chair set up for anybody. They, they reclined as we're going to look at. And they did things. So understand, listen, all of that's fine. But don't build your faith on those kind of things and look at those kind of things. And especially when they start, you know, typing everything, not typing on a keyboard. But, you know, this is a type of this and this is a type of this and this is a type of that. In Exodus, and you can read in Exodus chapter 12, chapter 23, Leviticus 23, Numbers 9, Deuteronomy 16. You can read in all 
all of those. You can check out those different passages. They talk about what the Passover was, when it was to be celebrated, and, and, and what it represented. So listen, it wasn't quite as detailed as they do in those Seder suppers today. It was pretty plain. The bread without leaven was because you needed to leave the past behind as part of it, and really it was you don't have enough time for the bread to rise because you're gonna beat feet out of here. The bitter herbs were because they were bitter in, uh, you know, in slavery, and then the lamb represented the, the blood on the doorpost and, and, and what took place there. We might even say we're gonna look at tonight the sop that they, that they dipped in, that little, that little thing in the middle that had some, it had some figs and dates and apples all mushed up with some pomegranates and nuts and, and it might have even kind of looked like the mortar of the bricks that they had to make and, and they were eating that. But other than that, listen, it wasn't all of these other things going on. So now Jesus is ready and he's wanting to celebrate this Passover with his disciples. A while back in his ministry, he said, I look forward to this time. And that's rather bizarre because listen, this is the end for him. This is it. Now, something that's interesting is they would bring the Passover lamb four days before the lamb was to be slaughtered. They would bring the lamb in. Jesus entered Jerusalem four days ago. He was the lamb. He was the lamb who's to be slain for our sins. And so now, listen, how he wanted to celebrate this with his disciples, not so much that Jesus had a death wish, but he knew what his death was gonna bring and he knew the resurrection. So we get to the place and it tells us in verse 17, it says, now on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, once again, they would do the Passover and then go right into the feast of the unleavened bread, which was for seven days. So the Passover is that day, first day of that feast, although it was only one day that they would celebrate that, then they would eat the unleavened bread for for seven days. So on the first day of the feast, it says the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now here's, I think this is kind of interesting. I don't know if they're still in Bethany. I don't know if they're on the Mount of Olives. I'm not sure where they're at, but the disciples are coming to Jesus saying, where, do, where, where are we supposed to do this? Now in that generation, you went to Jerusalem for the Passover and remember, we talked about people are camped all over. They're on the Mount of Olives. They're in the Kidron Valley. They're in every space they could be. But the Passover had to be celebrated within the city walls. So they're going, where are we going to go do this? And how are we going to go do this? And, and so listen, Jesus, they, they say, Jesus, where do you want us to go prepare for this? And he said to them in verse 18, go into the city or go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. That's real clear instructions. Now, Mark, it's Mark or Luke, tell us that he said, go into the city and you will find a man carrying a water jar. Now, the interesting thing there is men didn't carry water jars. So that would have pointed him out. He would have been an anomaly. It wouldn't have been, hey, just go into the city and find a man, 
right? It was a man carrying a water jar, gave them, and, and yet it seems, like, it seems like Jesus set this up. I think this is one, maybe he talked ahead of time and, and had this plan because he wanted to celebrate. He looked forward to this. But go find this, this man, and then did you notice, did you notice what Matthew said? Jesus said, you go tell him, the teacher, not a teacher, the teacher. So evidently there was some kind of relationship with Jesus and this individual who had this house. And, and hey, we're gonna come, we're gonna celebrate at your house. Now I don't know if he was involved. Most of us, you know, we have that picture, right? We've all seen the picture of the Last Supper and they have a really nice. Isn't it interesting that they're all posed perfectly for that? It was like, okay, everybody get on this side of the table. Nobody put their backs and smile. That's, that's, so, that's so bogus of what it was like. But anyway, anyway, so we're going to go celebrate. And I don't know, maybe this guy was with him. I don't know. Or it was maybe a private place. So go, get, you know, go tell him. And so the disciples, in verse 19, so the disciples did as Jesus had directed, and they prepared the Passover. Now, here's what I find interesting. They went and got things ready. They went and prepared things, put the lamb on, mushed up the figs and the dates and the pomegranates and got all that ready and, and, and you know, got everything prepared. And, and you know, they were excited. Now listen, he had told them in two days the Passover, then the Son of Man will be crucified. It would be hard to be excited and thinking about that, but again, I've said often, in two days of Passover, and then here's what they heard, and blah, 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 blah. They didn't hear the rest. So they're excited. They're gonna celebrate this with the Lord, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, I could be wrong, I'm thinking this was one of many times, at least three. I think they went every year and celebrated this with him, but, but here they are, they're ready, and verse 20 says, and when the evening had come, he sat down with the 12. Now, again, not... Not according to the painting we have. They didn't sit, they reclined. And they would just kind of, even, even when we go to Israel and, and we eat at uh, Abraham's tent, we kind of recline as we eat, we get down. And, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of countries, I've been to several countries, that's how they eat dinner. The tables are low and you kind of, kind of just, I kind of like that, man. Have you noticed when you lay, you can get more in? <laughs> Some more room. So they kind of reclined, and it more than likely it was sort of a U-shaped, and, and they were, it was just more intimate. They weren't all in a straight line, and Jesus had to lean down. Hey, Pete, how's it going down there? You know, they, they were intimate, and they were close. And remember, this is a celebration. This is a feast that they're having. It's something that, hey, it's something that they look forward to all year long. So, so you have to kind of get the ideas. They came and, and they sat around the table and, and they're, they're buzzing about things. They're talking about things. And then Jesus drops this on them. Think about this. You're, you're having this great time, this great feast with him. And then it says now, verse 21, as they were eating, he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. That's kind of like dropping a bombshell, huh? 
It's like throwing a hand grenade in the middle of dinner. It's like, hey, we're all eating, enjoying things. We're talking about things, maybe even talking about, is this really it, Jesus? Is this really the end? And, and then you would have the different things. You'd have the, you know, you'd go through the Hillel Psalms and, and you're doing that. You're doing the ceremonial things they all laid out, but you're just having that great time. And then all of a sudden, man, you're eating and maybe you got a piece of, you know, a big old chunk of lamb in your mouth. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. And it's huge. And it's huge that he had to tell them, and, and oh, look at the response. And, and he says, listen, one of you will betray me, verse 22 said, and they all turned around and looked at Judas. <laughs> this is not what it says, is it? Because that's kind of what we would think, right? What does it say? It says they were exceedingly sorrow. Do you know what exceedingly means? It means, man, these guys like tripped out on it. It's like, we were just eating a good dinner and you just ruined it. What, what are you, what do you mean? Here's what I know. They believed this and it freaked them out. One of us? These guys have been practically living together for three years, three and a half years. You get to know people in that time period. I just think back when I was in basic and you kind of went into basic training as strangers. And when I was in, it was like eight and a half years of basic training, it seemed like. But in that time period, in that time period, you got bonded. In that time period, you know, I, I always say, and I firmly believe that, in that time period, when I was going in during the Vietnam War, their whole objective was to brainwash you and change you, and they did it. They made you, they made you part of a unit, not an individual, and, and all of a sudden, you're tight with those guys, and hey, if they could do that in, in, in four months... Think how tight you would be hanging together every day for three and a half years and listening to Jesus' teachings and being involved in all of the ministry and all of the things you were doing. And Hey, these guys were close. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, one of you is gonna betray me. Wow. They were exceedingly sorrowful. And then, and then listen what this says. They were exceedingly sorrowful. And then it says, listen, and each one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Man. Do you kind of get a sense of the humility these guys had? They didn't even trust themselves. Is it me? Am I going to do it? None of them pointed to, and it's interesting to me, they didn't even point to each other, much less Judas. Is it me? Am I going to be the one who's going to do it? They all realized that they were all capable of doing that. We need to understand that because you know what? We're in that same camp. We're all capable of doing that. We're all capable of blowing it big time. And I don't have to tell most of you that. Some of you said, well, yeah, but I've never blown it big time. But you will. But we're capable. I, I, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a little bit taken back by the honesty in the hearts of these guys right here, because they're kind of a bunch of goofs. Of all of the things, all of the conversations they have, and, and even later on, we're going to hear later on they start fighting again about who's the greatest. 
But right here, right now, right in that moment, it so takes them back. And Jesus didn't say, you know, you, you would kind of think he would say, you know, when they all were sitting down, hey guys, you need to know something. Judas is going to betray me tonight and let's just move on with dinner, kick him out and get on with things, right? But he says, one of you. He doesn't name them. He doesn't point fingers. And do you know how hard it would be to say that and not look directly at him? But they're all saying, is it me? Lord, could I do that? And listen, and Jesus answered, and he said to them, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The dish, the dish, that's the sop, right? That's that, 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 that mush put together, the, the dates and the figs and apple and the pomegranate and nuts all crushed up. And, and he who dipped with him, do you know who dipped with him? All 12. Well, that was a good hint. It's interesting because here's what he's saying. It's somebody who's close. Now, there's a bunch of discussion of maybe they had three or four dishes, and uh, if, you, if you kind of understand the seating arrangement, more than likely, and we'll talk about that in a moment, it was probably Jesus with, we know John was on his right because John leaned on his chest. And more than likely, Judas was on his left. And here's the interesting thing about that. That was the place of honor. He says, the one who dips with me. And John says, later on, he tells him, the one that I dip and give this piece of bread to. But listen, if it was that obvious, it was still some, there was some kind of, there was some kind of, quote, secret thing going on and some kind of open thing at the same time because otherwise, I think those guys would have ganged up on Judas. I mean, if you're hanging out with Jesus and it comes to your, your, you know, to you that you realize that guy is the one who's gonna betray him, don't you think you'd jump on him and, Beat him up, rough him up a little bit, maybe a whole bunch. So listen, but he was close by to Jesus, that much we know. And, and listen, as he's saying, the one, the one that dips with me, he says, again, once again, it could be any one of you. You're sharing a meal with me. You're eating this meal with me. And then he goes on and he says, listen, verse 24, the son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better, it would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So Jesus is, listen, Jesus is laying it out and he says, hey, this is how serious it is. And here's what blows my mind when, when I read scripture and I love, I love the idea that God has a plan and God is working his plan down to the detail and, and, and we'll talk about this in a moment, down to every detail and yet this guy named Judas is completely responsible for every decision he makes along the way. He's making decisions, he's not forced into anything, he's not put in a position where he's some kind of, you know, some kind of robotic response to what's going on. Hey, Judas, Judas wanted to betray Jesus. Judas had it in his heart to betray Jesus. And yet God uses that for his plan. And Judas cannot get to heaven and say, hey, you know, if it wasn't for me, your plan would have horribly failed. But I was there, I did that. So no. 
It's a wicked, do you hear what Jesus says? It would be better for him not to be born. Oh, by the way, for those who kind of believe in annihilation, you know, there are those who believe that, you know, people who go to the, the lake of fire will eventually burn up. They're not gonna be there forever. They'll eventually burn up and, and, and then it'll be okay, I guess. I don't even get that concept, but listen what Jesus says. It would be better for him not to be born. If you're just gonna annihilate, if you're just gonna go away, doesn't matter if you're born or not, but Jesus is better for him not to be born because of what he's facing. So Jesus lays that out and then, and then it says, listen, then Judas, who was betraying him, answered him and said, listen what Judas says, Rabbi, is it I? What did, what did the rest of them say? Lord, is it I? What did, Jesus, what did Judas say? Rabbi. You see, he couldn't call him Lord because he was so gonna disrespect him. Rabbi, is it I? And then again, you wonder why Jesus, now John, John 13, you know, I think John 13 is the one who says he gives him the, the piece of bread because John's asking him stuff and, and et cetera, and you go down there. And, and again, I think if John would have known, he wouldn't have let him go out. But, you know, you can, we can deal with that. I don't want to get caught up in that. But here's what I want us to understand. In John 13, Jesus says, hey, what you get ready, what you're going to do, go do quickly. Go for it, Judas. You know, and whenever I read that, here's what I think. I think Jesus gave him several opportunities to repent. Why would he even bring up that someone's gonna betray him if he wasn't given Judas the opportunity to change? And some of you go, come on, it had to happen that way. He's given him opportunity. And we need to understand that because sometimes, sometimes if we're really, really honest, we lock certain people out of Christianity. There's no way they could get saved. Maybe it's somebody who's hurt us horribly. Maybe it's somebody who's done an, you know, an atrocious act to us that's, that's in our minds unforgivable and we sort of lock them out. Do you hear the heart of Jesus? Hey, one of you is gonna betray me. Break now, break now. Man, confess, get over it. And, and, and again, he says, hey, hey, Judas, he goes, you know, Judas says, he says, hey, it's better for you not to be born. Break right now, break. And then it tells us Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is that I? And Jesus looks at him and said, yeah, you said it. I think this was a little bit private, again. And then John tells us that Satan entered him. I think he's one of the few individuals, we talk about demon possession, etc. I think he's one of the few individuals, that, and, and he's the only one we read about in the Bible, who Satan actually entered. Satan entered him, and he left and went out to do his deed. And I believe, my opinion, is he left right at this point, because what we're about to read, I don't think he would have participated in. Luke kind of makes it sketchy, like maybe he was still there during the time when Jesus institutes the, 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 the uh, uh, communion and, and, and uh, that, that fellowship with him. But I, I, I gotta believe he left. I gotta believe he left before that took place. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all keep this kind of short. If you wanna know more of what, what went on that evening, you gotta read John. You gotta read John 13, 14, 15, and 16, 17. There was a whole bunch that went on. 
whole bunch of teaching, a whole bunch of interaction and stuff. These guys keep it short because they're focused on this one part. So Judas now is gone. They're still celebrating. Don't forget, listen, man, they're still celebrating Passover. That hasn't stopped. This kind of, this kind of came as they're eating, and, and I think maybe even the beginning, and now they're, they're all beginning to leave, or Judas leaves, and now maybe it's like, well, let's get on with this dinner, right? And maybe that's when most of, you know, 16, 17, and, 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 uh, and John happened. But they're not, listen, they're not taking off right now. They're still in the middle of this feast. And once again, I want to emphasize, it was a feast. It was a celebration. It was a time coming together. So they're, they're going through the different things. Remember, they, if, you, if you're familiar, they would have four cups of wine. And each cup was a representation of one of the promises of God. And, and uh, you know, it came out of the promises of God, came out of Exodus chapter 6. Listen to this. It says, therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens, uh, burden of the Egyptians. That's the first cup that, that they would drink. And then the second one would be, I will rescue you from their bondage. And then it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. That's the third cup. I believe we're going to read about that in a moment. And then the fourth cup is, I will take you as my people and I will be your God and you will be my people. So listen, those cups weren't just that they wanted to drink four cups of wine. They represented things in as they would go through each phase, the children would ask their parents questions and they would explain how great God is. And so Jesus is with his kids, right? And Judas is gone. Judas now has run out and, and he's gone out to do the deed and do the dirty deed. And then it says, listen, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup I think the third cup, and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from, the, from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Look at what Jesus does. He doesn't say, and the, the, you know, the mashed up stuff in the middle represents this, and the lamb, it represents me, and the bitter earth. Here's what he says. Here's the bread, and he begins to tear it and hand it off. Eat it, because this is my body. Here's the cup. And he drinks it and passes around. Drink this, because this represents the blood, the, the new covenant. And Jesus is about to go to the cross and die for the sin of many. Did you pick up on that? Of many. And as we think about now, here's, here's the dilemma people come up with. They go, well, if they were really celebrating the Passover, how could then Jesus be crucified on the Passover if they're eating the Passover feast? That's kind of a dilemma, right? Some of you go, I never thought of that. But it is sort of a dilemma if he's crucified and he is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world and the whole emphasis was on he had to be crucified on the Passover. How then is it that Jesus is eating Passover with his disciples the night before? Have you asked yourself that question? Some of you are going, dude, you're scaring me. You're like messing up my Bible. It is a dilemma, and that's where a lot of people start picking on the Bible. Now, here's what some people say. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified on the Passover, so he just celebrated it a day early. Seriously? 
Like, hey, this is, this is one of the holiest days. The holiest would be the Day of Atonement. But other than that, man, this was it. You think Jesus would, quote, desecrate it and go, hey, it doesn't matter what day we got to celebrate this early because I got to die on that day. I got an appointment, so we got to take care of it. Now, I don't think that's it. And then some people say, well, then all of the, all of the chief priests and everything decided to celebrate it a day late. Seriously? Like, they go, well, you know, we want to kill him on the Passover, and we got to do this, and... I think there is a plausible explanation. It's interesting when you study the culture. Up north in Galilee is where Jesus was from and the disciples. They recognize the day from sunrise to sunrise. Down south in Jerusalem, they recognize the day from sunset to sunset. And I believe, listen, I believe God in his wisdom knew exactly what he was doing. You see, because they are kind of in some ways a day early, but not according to them, not according to who they are. And if you remember last week, I said during this time, uh, this century, they would, they would, they would slaughter 250,000 lambs. Could you really slaughter 250,000 lambs in just a few hour, in just a, a window of a few hours, man? You gotta be one butchering fool, right? You gotta be a ninja at that and going like crazy. But what if you split it up? They had a little longer time a little lengthier time. So, so listen, I believe the Galileans, remember I said there was a whole bunch of Galileans there. They're coming down, they're celebrating it about 12 hours earlier than everybody else was celebrating it because of their time, because of their clock, because of where they came from. I think that's very plausible. So Jesus could celebrate the Passover with his disciples and still be the Passover lamb and crucified on the Passover. I believe that's what's going on. So back to the idea, he's really celebrating it, and he gives them the cup, and now Jesus institutes what, what we sometimes call the Lord's Supper or communion. I like to call it fellowship. But he's, listen, he takes the Passover, and here's what he says to me. Forget the Passover. You don't have to roast a lamb. You don't have to get a bunch of bitter herbs. You don't have to crunch up some dates and nuts and pomegranates and, and get them in a bowl. You don't even have to eat because personally, I, I, think, you know, I think unleavened bread's not the greatest. It's a little funky. He says, you don't have to do any of that. Well, tortillas are pretty good. He says, listen, you don't, you don't have to do that. Here's, here's what I'm telling you from now on. Eat this bread. And I believe, listen, I believe, no doubt, he's saying, that represents my body. For those who believe that the bread and the, and, and the cup actually turn into the body and blood of Jesus, you know, I hate to say this, but newsflash, he's sitting right there. He didn't go anywhere. He's sitting right there. And, and listen, as a human, as fully man, he couldn't be in the bread and in himself at the same time. Couldn't do that. So I think, again, it's a representation. I don't believe that's called transubstantiation. I don't believe in that. I think it gets real dangerous when you go there. Others kind of say this thing, there's consubstantiation, which means he was kind of in a, in a special way. I think communion is special, not because I'm eating some bread and drinking some, we drink juice, drinking a cup. 
I think it's special for this reason. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. And I'm amazed at the grace of God. I'm amazed at the grace of God in my life, in my family's life. And he says, man, when you come, listen, when you come and, and, and listen, as he, as he breaks the bread and he gives the bread, listen, he says, he says he blessed it and broke it. He didn't break it as a symbol of his body being broken. He broke it to all of us come from one, from that one piece. We're part of that one. We're in this thing together. I think it would be fun to do that. I, I, I went to a church when I was at Bible college. It was a little church that I would go do sound at one of the Calvary chapels. And then on my way walking back to the college because I didn't have a vehicle, I would, I would go by this little uh, community church. And I really liked the teaching, the music, not so much, but I liked the teaching. So I would come by and they would just be finishing up the music and I would come in and sit in the back because and, and, the guy was an excellent Bible teacher and I just wanted to glean from him. And so I'm sitting in the back and, and they would do communion and this little church when they did communion, they, they would pass like a, a, someone would bake a, a big chunk of bread and they would pass it. Well, you know, everybody's always polite. Have you ever noticed how polite people are? And they'd take a little pinch, not me. I'm thinking, you give me a chance, I'm hungry. Number one, I'm hungry. Number two, I want all of Jesus I can get, right? So I just like tear off a chunk. I, w I was with some guys and they go, dude, you took off a big chunk. And I go, like there's 10 of us here. I said, let's just share this thing, right? So listen, Jesus is taken, and all of that to say they were, I, I think a little bit more biblical, right? Taking out of one piece, although they did leavened bread, and that freaked some people out. We used to do communion with the little, little fish guys, goldfish. We used to use the goldfish. Somebody come in the church, read the ingredients. That has leaven, you guys are sinners, how dare you? For the sake of, you know what, for the sake of that individual, we changed. I mean, if that's gonna stumble you, I think you could do communion with anything. It's not, listen, it's not the elements, it's what the elements represent. I love to say this, I think you could do, some of you are gonna be offended, it's all right. I think you could do communion with Twinkies and a Coke. <laughs> if your heart is right. Some of you are going, are we gonna start? No, we're not, we're not doing that, so, but, Here's, my, here's the thing, it's what they represent. It's the body and the blood of the Lord. It's nothing, there's nothing special about the elements. What's special is we're celebrating him. And here's what he's saying in my heart. He's saying, hey, stop doing, listen, listen to the end again, verse 28. For this is my body, or this is the, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That's what we're celebrating. And it's the new covenant. We don't celebrate the old covenant. Once again, if you want to do Seder suppers and do all that, that's fine, but don't get so caught up in it. Jesus said, you need to stop doing that. You need, all you need out of the Seder supper is the bread and the cup. And then he goes on and he says, verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Listen to what he's saying to them. Hey guys, this isn't it. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And we're going to drink it where? In my father's, he's talking about having, hey, he's talking about, here's what's going on. He's letting you and I know something. During the millennium, guess what we're gonna celebrate? 
Passover. We do Passover again. Some of you are going, for reals? Yeah, he's going to drink of that and, and participate. And it's in his father's kingdom when he sets up the kingdom. And then here's what I really love. I was going to go through verse 35, but we're not going to make it. So we'll stop at 30. And he says, listen, in verse 30, he says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Once again, they would, they would probably be singing the, the, the Hallel uh, uh, Psalms out of 116 to 118. And, and read those for homework tonight. Just read them. But, but imagine this, like get this. Wouldn't you love, wouldn't you really love to have a worship with Jesus leading? Wow, pretty sweet, huh? Now, I love our worship team. I love that God's brought them and we have very gifted, talented musicians, so no offense to them. But Jesus, man, I, I, don't, I wouldn't care what we sing. But listen, man, he's leading them. I, I get this idea that he's, he, they're, they're around there and they're, they're pretty full. They've eaten a lot and they're just kind of hanging out and they just start, listen, they just start worshiping and they start singing. We're gonna read in a moment, man, they, they finally leave that area. But man, imagine how wonderful. Imagine the, 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 the apostles right now. Hey, I don't think they're bumming. I think, I think that whole betrayal thing, now that's gone. And they, they kind of you know, forgot about that. And they're just like loving the moment and having worship with him. And listen carefully. That's what, that's what communion's all about. It's what the Lord's table's all about. This fellowship with him. And I want us to back up one more time and understand, listen, he says, hey, we're doing this, why? My blood which was shed for many, not a few, not a couple, not a couple choice ones. And I know when we share communion, listen, I know we read out of what Paul says, but once again, Paul's exhorting us not to, to turn away from communion. He's exhorting us to turn away from sin and come to God for forgiveness and celebrate at the Lord's table. So man, I don't know about you guys, but every time I read this part, I get so excited for that, that group of guys hanging out with Jesus and how good it must have been. I bet you that they had never sung those songs the Psalms like they sang that night. Let's stand up and pray.